Well, thanks very much for tuning in for this week's uh, podcast. This is uh, Jonathan Armstrong live from Cordray HQ in London. And my uh, friend Eric uh, Sinrod is speaking to you live from San Francisco. And you've been worrying about Safe Harbor this week, Eric. Well, I have been, and I, I'm glad you called me your friend because it's a good thing we are friends. Because, Jonathan, do you know this is our 126th podcast together? Wow. One, two, six. So Amazing. We better be friends. We better be friends to put up with each other this long. Uh, but, yes, I have been thinking about this. This is Eric Sinrod with Dwayne Morris. Um, Jonathan, gone are the days when some companies may decide to take lightly the responsibility to safeguard uh, private data. You know, once upon a time, you know, companies here, some of them anyway, believed that, you know, privacy issues were sort of an ivory tower intellectual academic thing to ponder. But, you know, over time, they've started to realize that, you know, good privacy is good business. And, you know, now many companies have been very earnest in complying with U.S. privacy rules when it comes to sensitive data such as health and financial information. And, frankly, they're required to do so by law. But... The question is, Jonathan, how are U.S. companies doing when it comes to protecting European data? And unfortunately, not so well, at least according to allegations contained in a recent complaint filed with our Federal Trade Commission, the FTC. The complaint was filed, Jonathan, by the Center for Digital Democracy, or otherwise referred to as CDD. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it alleges that more than 30 U.S. companies are not protecting European data as promised by the U.S. government. Uh, Specifically, it is alleged that these companies are, quote, compiling, using, and sharing EU consumers' personal information without their awareness and meaningful consent in violation of the U.S.-EU safe harbor framework, close quote. And by way of brief background, and this, of course, is extremely brief, and I know you can elaborate perhaps more, The reference safe harbor framework permits EU data, which normally would not be allowed to move outside of Europe, to come to reside on U.S. servers to the extent European data protection and privacy rules are followed. Um, This is important because in certain realms, Europe has stronger data privacy laws than does the U.S., that's for sure. And the the EU does not want to see its data exported to the U.S., uh, of course, and then have it compromised with lesser privacy rules than are in place back in the EU. So the CDD uh, wants the FTC, that's the alphabet soup there, the CDD wants the FTC to investigate the named companies for, quote, data profiling and online targeting, close quote, among other things, all of which allegedly violate the safe harbor commitments. Um, Indeed, the CDD's legal director, uh, by the name of Hudson Kingston, claims that, quote, the fundamental privacy right of 500 million Europeans, hopefully that does not include you, Jonathan, has <laughs> been ignored, has been ignored and must be acknowledged and protected going forward, close quote. So I guess we're going to see uh, if there's fire where there is smoke. Um, you know, there have been prior attacks on the true viability of the safe harbor. Uh, for instance, uh, notwithstanding the safe harbor, Uh, European data located in the U.S. potentially uh, can be accessed by U.S. law enforcement authorities. Mm -hmm. So whether or not the FTC investigates and takes action, 
uh, Europeans, and perhaps you can enlighten us, Jonathan, believe that you know, when they provide private information, that information should be protected according to European privacy rules in place at the time, even if that information later finds its way to the U.S. And frankly, if the U.S. cannot follow through and provide such assurances by way of the safe harbor or otherwise, you know, my concern is that over time Europeans may be much less willing to allow for data flow back and forth with the U.S. So that's a mouthful. Uh, Jonathan, I know you have even more to say, so please uh, take over now. <laughs> Thank you, and, uh, and yes, I do. And I suppose to declare an interest from the start, uh, I have and we do uh, here um, put uh, a number of uh, organizations through Safe Harbor, and we've walked them through that process. So, you know, I've, I've been doing that for, I don't know, 10 years or so. I think that there, I mean, anybody uh, who knows the system would acknowledge that the system isn't perfect, but I think it's uh, less worrisome than some of the other alternatives. So uh, as a quick uh, three-second recap, maybe a little bit more about what the scheme's about, remember that this is an optional scheme. So uh, multinational corporations who are based in the U.S. can elect to join the safe harbor uh, um, system. And they do that by a, a filing with the U.S. Department of Commerce. And they make a number of promises. And they put an arbitration scheme in place so that if any individual says, my data was transferred from Europe to the U.S. and there's an issue with that transfer, the arbitration scheme kicks in. And that's mandatory. To be part of the optional safe harbor scheme, you have to have uh, an, an arbitration system in place. And there are obviously various independent providers of arbitration. The second thing to say, I think, is these allegations that there are somehow deficiencies in Safe Harbor are not new. We've had this thing called the Galaxia Report done by an Australian consultancy some years ago. Uh, and that and various other um, criticisms of the scheme led to one of the German data regulators particularly casting doubt over the long-term future of the Safe Harbor Scheme, and then a decision of the Dusseldorf Accrease, the um, frat club of German data regulators, if you like, um, saying that, um, that there were deficiencies in the Safe Harbor Scheme and that German regulators would consider its suspension. Uh, after Snowden, uh, that um, campaign against Safe Harbor gained momentum. And you might remember, I think we talked in an earlier podcast, that the European Commission had effectively given the U.S. authorities a to-do list of things that they wanted to see improved by about now for Safe Harbor to continue in existence, and there's some imminent, we're told, announcement from the European authorities on the future of Safe Harbor. What I would say, however, is that the U.S. authorities are certainly doing better in policing the scheme. So, firstly, the Federal Trade Commission, who take enforcement action if people have made false promises to abide by Safe Harbor, have taken action against more businesses, admittedly from a low standing start, but the number of uh, 
I believe I'm right in saying that the number of public enforcement actions in the last year or so is more than the previous 10 years put together. So there's obviously a rise in enforcement activity from the FTC. And at the same time, I'm seeing more proactive involvement from the Department of Commerce. The Department of Commerce have a smallish team who look at things like whether the arbitration scheme that you say you're a part of is current, whether the contacts that you give on your privacy policy work, things like that. And, and, and David Ritchie and his team uh, at the uh, Department of Commerce in, in Washington are certainly stepping up to the plate in terms of looking uh, to, to make sure that those administrative tasks are being uh, are being complied with. So I definitely uh, think that the general tenant of the article, that safe harbor can't be an empty promise, is something that has probably changed in the last two years. But my question about this, uh, this um, research in inverted commas or these complaints is how many uh, uh, of the companies they complained about have, uh, have, they made, have they taken advantage of the um, independent arbitration first? So generally speaking, if I'm a European citizen and I've got problems, I look up the business on the Safe Harbor website. If they're a member of Safe Harbor, it will tell me which arbitration scheme they're a member of, and I can go to the company and say that I've got an issue with the way in which they've transferred their data. And if I don't get resolution, I go to the independent arbitration provider. From my experience, the uptake, uh, the uptake of independent arbitration is very low indeed. Some of these schemes have changed around and altered their pricing model because very few people complain. And it seems to me that given that you know, that there is this free arbitration scheme uh, 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 out there for every single member of Safe Harbor. Surely, if there are 500 million people who are aggrieved at the transfer of their data, we'd see at least some of the 500 million using these independent arbitration schemes instead. And I don't see that type of activity. I don't even know of five uh, that have taken advantage of independent arbitration, let alone 500 million. So, so my waters tell me, Eric, insofar as they're reliable, that something somewhere isn't, isn't right with, with that complaint. And maybe it's, um, it's trying to sh shine a spotlight on Safe Harbor without going through the process that Safe Harbor sets out for complaints. But I might be wrong, and I guess that uh, as more details of this complaint uh, come to light and more details of the FTC's investigation come to light, we might find more details of that. Do you think that's realistic? I do, and um, I think you're absolutely right. So far, what we have is a complaint. Uh, the real question will be whether there's enough, as I sort of said, is there fire where there's smoke? I mean, is this just, you know, noise? Or will the FTC, once it looks at this, actually decide that there is value uh, in investigation and, and further action? And there might not be. Um, I mean, the facts are the facts, and uh, they will have to come out. And you know, I think you make a good point about, you know, if there are really 500 million people affected, uh, wouldn't you see more besides just simply the, the filing of this complaint? Um, you know, I don't pretend to know the actual facts myself, 
but um, you think you, you would think there'd be there'd be more uh, that we would have seen uh, leading up to this complaint. And I think we're probably yeah. on ten. I, I guess the other thing to say is that obviously organisations need, if they're part of Safe Harbour, they need to take that more seriously, perhaps than they have done in the last couple of years. And it's right that they review their procedures to make sure that they're doing uh, what they have promised the U.S. government they would do. Right. I mean, there's nothing about our concluding comments that should lead any company to, you know, take their responsibilities in a less than fully responsible uh, manner. So this winds up uh, our Tech Law 10 number 126. We're going to keep wow. on counting now going forward. I, I think, think it's useful for us to say what the number is. So this is 126. Um, I'm Eric Sinrod at Dwayne Morris uh, LLP. You can find my find me at my email address, ejsinrod at dwaynemorris.com. As you know, you can see us on all the usual social media outlets, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, Jonathan likes to bring it home. So Jonathan, bring it home. My pleasure. Uh, Jonathan.Armstrong at CaudryCompliance.com. We're always happy to hear more from you on Twitter or uh, Facebook, Eric's a fan of, LinkedIn, um, or simple email, even send us a pigeon. Um, in any event, <laughs> we'll speak to you uh, uh, in the next week or so. All that remains is to thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Bye now. <laughs>